You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Well, I invite you to turn to Genesis 40 as we continue in our study of Genesis. We'll also take this chapter as a whole unit this morning. Begin with verse 1. Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard and the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on one vine there were three branches. I'm sorry, on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do not want to try to come to your word apart from your blessing apart from your guidance, apart from your teaching, but to the contrary, Father, 
We come to you and we ask that you would be pleased to teach us this morning. So open our hearts, O oh Father, to your word and, and to open your word up to our hearts that we may see the magnificence of your truth and the magnificence of your working. So, Father, to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, this morning, what I would like to do is go through the text, just kind of go through verse by verse, make a few observations here and there, and there's some application that we can make as we go along, and all of this will be working our way to what really is, I think, the main uh, thrust, the main chord uh, that runs through this text, and what particular uh, place Genesis 40 has uh, in that main thrust. Now, as a point of review, uh, you'll recall that Joseph, of course, has been um, sold to Potiphar. His brother sold him to some Israelites who carried him to Egypt. And Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard, has purchased Joseph. And we saw last week in Genesis 39 that the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was successful in all that he did. And he very quickly, he had earned the, uh, uh, the respect uh, and the trust of Potiphar. He became Potiphar's right-hand man. And basically, Potiphar basically gave up everything to him. He basically said, here's my household. Uh, you're free to have everything that you want uh, from it, uh, except for one thing, obviously, my wife. Now, in the course of things, what happened? Joseph was a handsome guy. And we're told that Potiphar's wife began to lay eyes on him. And he consistently uh, refused all of her advances until finally she became frustrated and accused Joseph of trying to force himself upon her. And, of course, this landed Joseph in prison. Uh, and that takes us to uh, verse 21 of Genesis 39. But there we're told, once again, the Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And here we see the same thing happening all over again. Verse 22, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, in verse 40, verse 1, we have a time frame. See the phrase there, sometime after this. And we'll ask ourselves the question, which is a question we should always ask when we come to these kinds of phrases, sometimes after what? Well, sometime after Joseph had earned the trust of the prison keeper. Make sense? Sometime after that. Okay? Sometime after that. We don't know how long Joseph was there, but assuming it takes time, uh, for this to happen. I, I, I couldn't imagine this happening in a week uh, or even a month. This had to have taken uh, some extended period of time. We just don't trust people uh, that quickly. And certainly not a, a prison keeper of all people. You think a prison, pe a prison keeper is going to be quick to trust people. That's unlikely. Uh, so Joseph is in jail for uh, some time, some undisclosed period of time. And there we see that the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed some kind of offense against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What offense did they commit? We don't know. It's uh, useless to try to speculate what that might be. The text just doesn't tell us. We're just not told. It's not important that we know exactly what, we, what they have done. What is important, verse 2, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer 
and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Now, let's stop right there just for a moment. Here, uh, the narrator is making it really clear that uh, these are high-ranking officers of Pharaoh, namely the cupbearer and the baker. High-ranking officials in Pharaoh's employ. Uh, They've done something to anger him. He has put them into the uh, king's prison, if you will. He's in the same prison where Joseph is at, and he's put in the custody of the captain of the guard. Now, the reader of Genesis says, Captain of the guard, that sounds really familiar. We've encountered the captain of the guard. Exactly. We've encountered it a couple of times at the end of chapter 37, the beginning of chapter 39. And there we're told that the captain of the guard is Potiphar. Now, it is possible, and we can't say for sure, but it is possible that it is actually Potiphar uh, here in our text. Uh, in verse 4. The captain of the guard could very well have been Potiphar. We can't say for sure because there could have been more than one captain of the guard. Um, And uh, by this time, maybe Potiphar was no longer captain of the guard. Uh, We're not sure, but it could indeed be Potiphar. And if it was Potiphar, I think that adds more credence to the fact that Potiphar probably didn't believe everything his wife was telling him. I think it adds a little credence to that. Again, that's just on the side but uh, what is really important that we understand is that the cupbearer and the baker are now in the prison, and uh, the, not only the prison in prison, but the prison where Joseph is confined. And in verse 4, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and Joseph is now attending them. And we have another time frame at the end of verse 4. They continued for some time in custody. So for a period of time, Uh, This goes on. Now, in verse 5, one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his dream, each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Now, uh, again, Joseph has been with these guys long enough that he's able to recognize there's something wrong. We do have to spend time with one another, actually, to be able to make that recognition, where we say, okay, you're not your usual self. Well, for us to say you're not your usual self, we need to know something about what your usual self is. So certainly this is going on for a period of time. In verse 7, so uh, he asked Potiphar's officials who were with him in custody in his master's house, Joseph, that is, why are your faces downcast today? So Joseph's saying to the cupbearer and the baker, why, why are your faces long? You know, what's going on? What's up, fellas? And they said to him, well, we've had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. Now, we should stop right there, and I've been thinking all along as we've been encountering all these dreams through the Genesis narrative that I probably should say something just on the side about dreams, if you'll allow me this digression. And I want to say this because... Uh, maybe some of you have had these questions asked of you, but if you're in, I can assure you if you're in pastoral ministry for any length of time, it's only a matter of time before someone is going to come to you and say, um, hey, hey, Rick, could you, what's up with dreams? How many have been asked that question? How many have had people come to you and say, man, can you tell me what's up with dreams? You know, if you're, if you're doing any level of counseling or any um, ministry, it's going to be a matter of time. I mean, uh, people say, you know, what am I, how, 
what am I supposed to make of dreams? And of course, I, I mean, some of our dreams, you know, the best way I know to, that I think, when I think about many of our dreams, they're kind of like the disc frag on your computer. You know, you got like the, you know, the disc frag. Some of you techie guys are laughing, but you do the disc frag on your computer where it's just ridding all the files and everything. There's, think about some of your dreams. I mean, they don't make any sense, do they? Like you'll have some of these bizarre dreams and this bizarre stuff that's all floating around in your head. And, and um, curiously, we don't really remember much of that stuff, do we? Um, like you'll have a dream and you remember the dream and you can remember some details for a short period after you've had the dream. Maybe you return to sleep and then you wake up and you're like, I had a dream last night. I don't really remember much about it. But what about the next day? I mean, how many can remember a dream that you've had in the last two weeks? Probably not very many. Um, so that I think that handles a lot of our dreams, but some of our dreams actually are not like that at all. And, and you, I, I've shared this story with many of you. And one of the problems with, you know, I, I believe in long tenures as a pastor. I think pastors should plant their feet and stay put for a while. One of the problems with a, plas- with a pastor planting his feet and staying put for a while is you hear all these stories and then you start to hear them over and over and over again. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be a story over and over again. Uh, but at least for some of you, you've never heard it. So here it goes. But about six months after I'd finished seminary, I started to have this dream. And the dream is I'm in Hebrew class. And um, it's, it's week one. There's 10 weeks in this quarter. And uh, it's week one. And I'd already had uh, two quarters, uh, two semesters of Hebrew. It's the final, it's the final uh, quarter. I'm in my third year. I'm about to graduate. Now, we'd done four years of Bible college. We'd done, now we're doing three years of seminary. We're on the last stretch. We got 10 weeks to go. And here, it, when you're studying Hebrew, or you're studying Greek, it's all memorization. And when you get these assignments, you've got to get on those assignments. You know, six days a week. I never did any schoolwork on Sunday. Sunday was no matter what. There was no work done on Sunday. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I mean, you have to stay on this stuff because the memorization, you, you just have to have it all done for the next class. But the problem with that is uh, when you're full-time, you're carrying anywhere from 12 to 15 credit hours. And I worked two part-time jobs while I was in seminary. So you've, you're, you're working, you've got all these class assignments, you have typically 300 pages of reading per every credit hour, so you can do the math, you've got about 10 weeks to get all this done, you're buried in assignments. And in my dream, I'm like, okay, I got my Hebrew assignment, and I, okay, I don't quite get done with it that week. So week number two, no, well, it's no big deal, but we get the Hebrew assignment again. Same thing happens. Week three, week four, week five. Next thing I know, it's week seven. By then, I'm sitting in Hebrew. The class discussion is beyond me. I don't know for the foggies. I do not know what they're talking about. I realize I'm sunk. Then it's week eight. It's week nine. Final is next week. All right. In my dream, I realize I'm not going to pass this final. I'm not going to pass. And then I wake up. And it's so real that when I wake up, I wake up with this prospect. I've got to tell Tammy. Now, why do I have to tell Tammy? Because we're in our third year. It was a real financial hardship for me just to drop out of where I was at in the term of the economic the place where I was at. You know, we, we had a, a good bit of savings going into seminary, but it took everything we had. In fact, I was selling guitars and selling amps. I was selling a lot of my toys just to keep us going. 
And now I wake up and I'm like, I'm not going to pass Hebrew, which means I'm going to have to wait until next year for the class to come around to take it. We're going to have to do this for another year. We can't do this for another year. We don't have the money to do this for another year. I got to go in. I got to tell Tammy, I'm going to flunk Hebrew. And then it dawns on me. Hey, Rick, you graduated six months ago. (laughs) And I go, oh, boy. I don't have to tell Tammy nothing. (laughs) I can go and give her a big hug. I can tell her I love her. (laughs) And what is up with that? Well, at that period of time, obviously, there was a lot of stress. I mean, at one point in time, while we were doing all that, we had Drew and Kier in our custody. We we had Drew and Kier. We had two toddlers. I used to go over Pittsburgh speaking all over the place with these two toddlers, you know? You know, it's like, Troy, I love you, man. You come in with your, your kids. I, I did that. I, I, you know, you get the kids, you get them ready, and off you go. And, and a lot of times we were going to churches we'd never been before because I was doing pulpit supply work. And, and then, you know, once I graduated seminary, then I had all the ordination exams to take. And then after we did that, then we went to Florida for church planning training. It was a week intensive course in church planning. After that, we went to an assessment. After that, we started planning church planning. So it was just, and this is what I tell people, it was just a time of just stress, you know, and assignments. And it was a very difficult time. And what's happening in my dream? Well, it's just kind of a debriefing from all of that stress. And as I've counseled people over the years and talked with people over the years, I've heard that. You know, where people have gone through things and sometimes your dreams are reflective of the things you've gone through. Unfortunately, sometimes dreams are reflected of tragedies that people have been in or tragic things that people have seen. Our military suffers from this, something terribly. Uh, and that's, that's what we're to, to do with a lot of our dreams. So I usually start but with these, these two things. Sometimes the dreams just don't seem to make any sense. Sometimes it's things that are going on in your life that are really significant and pressing. Uh, Sometimes it's like that. And by the way, this Hebrew dream was a dream that I had over and over again. I had that same dream for probably a period of six months, multiple times. And each time I had that dream, when I woke up, I really believed I was failing Hebrew. Um, So some of you may have had an experience like that, where you've had dreams and they've had that kind of profound effect on you. What does the scriptures say about dreams? Well, if you look up dreams, if you do dream singular, dream plural, and you, you just get a concordance, if you get an ESV concordance, and you look up dream singular, dream plural, you're going to get like almost 90 hits. And this is only going to be the verses where dream or dreams are used. There's other verses, obviously, that would be reflective of dreams that wouldn't be counted in that. But what you'll discover is a, a lot of them are in Genesis. And a lot of them are in Daniel, as you would suspect, because the Joseph narrative and the Daniel narrative really are very similar in many respects. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read Daniel. Take, take some time this, this week and read Daniel. Read the rest of Joseph and you'll see what I'm talking about. There are some other references that are sprinkled in, but that's pretty much, it's pretty much um, Genesis and Daniel. When you turn to the New Testament, you're going to find a cluster in Matthew. You're going to find that the wise men who go to see Jesus. They see the star. They're led by the star. And they go to see Jesus. They go into Jerusalem and they ask, we're here to see he who's been king, been born king of the Jews. And Herod said, you know, hey, you guys, uh, uh, when you find him, you know, you want to let me know so I can come and worship him. And they say, okay, good. Off they go. They find Jesus. But then they're warned in a dream, aren't they? They're warned in a dream not to return and to go another way. So they go. And then when you go to chapter 2, 
you find that uh, Joseph is warned by dreams. He's warned in a dream to go to Egypt, for example. Then he's warned in a dream to go from, back from Egypt back to Israel. So we find that. But then after that, dreams go silent. After that, it's pretty much over. And what we got to understand here is that these dreams are occurring at times, okay, when there is no Bible to speak of. For example, let, let, let's, let's think about Joseph. What kind of Bible did Joseph carry around when he came to church? And one might say, well, he didn't have any Bible. Well, it's not exactly true because Joseph did have a Bible. It wasn't recorded. But Joseph, as we can see here, knew a lot, didn't he? And I say, well, how can you say he knew a lot? Well, he knew the fear of the Lord, and he knew how to conduct himself. Look at the, look at the character that's being displayed here. And that character is, Joseph believed the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteous, just like his grand, great-grandfather Abraham. He's walking as a son of Abraham. And, of course, Joseph would have understood the gospel. The gospel is given in embryo in Genesis 3.15. Then it's given to Abraham. We're seeing that covenant of grace. Starting in Genesis 3.15 and forward, there's no question that Joseph would have understood, uh, especially my favorite promise that's given to Abraham, is that in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And how's that? how's that... How does that fulfilled? It's fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and here we are. Uh, how many different families are there represented here this morning? I don't know what the number is, but I know we're all blessed. And furthermore, the Scriptures refer to those who are in Christ as who? Sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham, correct? So Joseph would have understood. He would have understood at least some of that. So he didn't, it's not that he didn't have a Bible, but he didn't have a complete Bible. And, how is, how, and so God has given revelation to Joseph by way of these dreams. Uh, God is moving Joseph by way of these dreams. God is putting Joseph where he wants him by way of these dreams. And we'll find the same thing in Daniel, you know, same thing going on in Daniel. But um, before we form any kind of theology on dreams, because right now it sounds like, well, great, dreams can lead us and can help us, uh, not so fast. Um, in, Je in Deuteronomy 13, you may want to turn there, Deuteronomy 13, if you keep your place in Genesis 39, some interesting caveat here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13, they were told if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not, you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer, for the Lord your God is testing you. Then what is that telling us? That is telling us that there may be characters who uh, perform these signs and wonders where they'll, they'll actually tell, perhaps tell a dream, give the interpretation of the dream, and it'll come to pass. And the Lord is saying, if someone would do that, and then proceed to tell you something that's unbiblical, tell you to something that, that, would, that, would, that would move you away from the Lord, something that's going to turn you away from the Lord, then don't listen to him. For the Lord your God is testing you. And furthermore, in, in Jude, in Jude's uh, letter in the Old Testament, Jude actually speaking of false teachers and speaking of the ungodly, one of the ways that he describes the ungodly and describes the false teacher in verse 8 of Jude's letter is they rely on their dreams. They rely on their dreams. If you look at Jude, verse 8. 
They rely on their dreams. So for us today, we're to recognize that God spoke to the, the patriarchs. He spoke to Joseph. He spoke to others, to Daniel, by way of dreams. He gave revelation by way of dreams. Uh, but today, we're not to be among those who would rely on our dreams. Does that make sense? Why? Well, we have a Bible. We have a Bible. Uh, that's why. Now, with all that in mind, I, I think it needs to be said as we encounter all these dreams, and we're going to encounter them again next week, um, let's return back to our narrative in Genesis 40. Uh, Joseph notices something's wrong with the cupbearer and baker. He asks them, why are you guys, you know, why, at verse, at the end of verse 7, why are your faces downcast? They said to him, well, we've, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Now, what do they mean by that? They mean this by that. In Pharaoh's employ, in his employ, he has a group of counselors who were dream interpreters. Because it wasn't just believed by, uh, by, by Abraham and his family that, the, that God sometimes spoke through dreams, but it was believed by other, uh, even by pagan nations, that the gods... Uh, would sometimes speak by way of dreams. And there was this whole cast of counselors who would be called in from time to time in order to give the interpretation of dreams. And that's what's going on in this verse. These, the cupbearer and the baker, they are, um, here they are. They're, they're, they had these dreams. And I think some of their distress is they're incarcerated now. And they can't, uh, if, they, if they were free, they could tell Pharaoh. And of course, they could whistle and have these counselors come in and give them interpretation. But notice what Joseph says to them. He says in verse 8, Do not interpretations belong to God. Do not interpretations belong to God. And really, there's, a, there's an application here today that we see a lot of is when people are trying to take you know, their deepest needs and their deepest problems to all these secular agencies today. Um, these dream interpreters are still alive and well today. Um, and it's not that they're unhelpful completely any more than these dream counselors were unhelpful. Listen, if they weren't helpful to some degree, Pharaoh would have taken them off the books. Uh, but they did offer some help, just like you can get some help uh, from, uh, from secular agencies. And there is help, some help. But at the end of the day, if we're trying to find healing without Christ, it's in vain. If we're trying to straighten out our lives without Jesus... It's in vain. You can't get better without Jesus. I mean, you just can't. And that's what Joseph is saying here. Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer, and you can almost imagine the cupbearer maybe at this point, you know, having done some ministry uh, in Columbiana County Jail, I wasn't in jail, by the way. I was just doing ministry there. Um, having done some ministry uh, at Columbiana County Jail, it's not hard to find a guy that kind of knows it all, you know, kind of knows it all. He knows a little bit, but thinks he knows everything. And, and he'll say, oh, you know what? I, hey, man, I got your back. Just tell me your dream, you know, and uh, I'll give you the interpretation. You, you have to wonder maybe if at first, these guys are officers in Pharaoh's court. They're used to being around really important people. Now they're in jail. They've got these dreams. And here comes this Joseph character. And he's, he, he says, you know, the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Here, tell them to me. And you can almost wonder if they're like, who is this guy? He seems to be in charge, and there does seem to be something special about him. There's actually something really special about him, but really? 
I mean, um, uh, the baker might say to the cupbearer, you know, hey, come think of it. I'm wearing orange. How about you? I'm wearing orange. What about him? Well, come to think of it, he's in orange too. Um, who is this character? You know, you can almost imagine there might be an element of that going on. So the chief, the, the chief cupbearer, what has he got to lose? He tells his dream to Joseph. He says to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. So this is kind of like time-elapsed camera, where you have a camera on a vine, and you let it play out for a month or two while the, while the vine buds, you know, and then the, the blossoms, and then you've then you got the grape cluster, and it forms, and you've got grapes. This is all happening really quickly, right before his eyes in his dream. And uh, continuing in his dream, verse 11, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Okay, that's the dream. Verse 12, well, Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So what is the interpretation? Uh, you're going to, Pharaoh will lift up your head. That phrase, lift up your head. Uh, in other words, uh, Pharaoh is going to restore you to your former honor, your former office, and it's, you're, it's, you're going to be back to business as usual in three days. Now, notice how, notice how confident Joseph is in his interpretation. Look at verse 14. He says, only remember me. He's not like saying, I think this is what's going to happen. It looks to me like... In about three days, you're going to be out of here. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. Um, three days. You know, that's not how Joseph's answering this at all, is it? And, and, and even if there was any thought at the start of who is this know-it-all? You know, who is this guy who knows everything? You know, just running his mouth. Um, three days? Really? Three days? I'm going to be out of here? Yeah, and, and when you're out of here, I want you to do something for me. I want you to remember me. Remember me. When it's well with you, remember me. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. And verse 15, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have also done nothing that I should be put into the pit. And it's sometimes said of the prisons and, 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 and jail that, that, that uh, they're just full of people saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And uh, perhaps this is... Perhaps this is what the, you know, the cupbearer is saying. Okay, here's just another guy in orange is saying he didn't do it. Um, I know things have changed a lot in the jails and in the prison over the last 15 years since I was doing any ministry there. I know because I've read articles. It's changed. The current populations are much different than the populations that I was ministering to. I know that to be a fact. But that having been said, it is not my experience that folks were in there lying about what they did. I don't know what they told everybody else, but I can tell you what they told me. They used to tell me this. You want to know what I did? And I used to say no. And they'd be like, really? I'm like, I don't care. You don't care? Well, it wasn't that I didn't care. I did care a little bit, but I wanted to show them something. Because they would, they would, they would respond the same way every time. They say, you don't care what I did? No, I don't care what you did. Why? Well, you're, you're a lawbreaker, aren't you? Right? Yeah. So am I. 
we're both lawbreakers. And then, you know what they would say almost every time? You, you're a lawbreaker. And then they would go like, were you in jail too? I'm like, no, I've never been in, again, I did ministry at jail. I wasn't in jail, okay? I was never incarcerated, but I'm still a lawbreaker, ain't I? If you pardon my grammar, I'm still a lawbreaker, ain't I? Every day, I have broken God's commandments. And I need Jesus. I need a Savior for all of that, just like they did. And it was after that. It was after developing that trust with them. Then they would start telling me everything they did. They didn't. I don't think they were lying to me. They just began, this is what I did. It was the beginning. It was the beginning of healing for so many people. Um, so moving on, verse 16. The chief, the chief baker obviously is seeing what's going on here. He saw the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, hey, you know, hey, what about me? I had a dream too. There were three cake baskets on my head. And it's kind of comical, isn't it? Can you imagine someone walking around with three cake baskets on their head? Um, three cake baskets on my head. And this might sound a little bit like my defrag thing that I was just talking about, but that's not what it is. God is indeed putting these, um, these dreams on their, on their hearts. And he, he has three cake baskets on his head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph uh, answered in verse 18. This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, right? From you. From you. And hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. What a horrible word, huh? What a tremendous application we can take from this, though. I want to point out to you something about teachers. This is something you need to evaluate the one you're listening to right now by this. A teacher who is sent by God will not only be a teacher who gives a favorable word, but he will also be a teacher who will not hesitate to give an unfavorable word. You follow what I just said? There are two interpretations given here. Now you, you be the judge. Which one would you rather give? Would you rather give the first one? Oh, three days you're going to be out of here and everything's going to be great. Would you rather give the second one? And what I want to point to your attention is Joseph doesn't hesitate to give the second one, does he? If you're going to share the gospel, you're going to be sharing tremendous news. You're going to be sharing the greatest of news. There is no better, there's no better news. There's no better message than the gospel that anyone's ever going to hear, ever embrace. But it follows the worst of news, doesn't it? And you've got to be willing. We've got to say, you know what? We're, we're not just going to... A, a teacher who just runs around and gives the, the message to the cupbearer is not in it for God's glory. He's in it for his own. That's a fact. That's a fact because I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to be very popular given the second interpretation. But both of them are from God. And this is one way you can tell who you're listening to. Are they in it for personal glory or are they in it for God's glory? If you're in it for God's glory, you're not going to hesitate. You're going to get both. There was a, a 
pastor from church history that, you know, it's this, this, I was going to share this story. I wasn't going to share this, but it just keeps coming to my mind. I'm going to share it. Out of church history, there was a pastor. His name was William Perkins. How many have heard of William Perkins? At least one of you, a couple of you. He was a tremendous pastor. Uh, a lot of testimony uh, towards the late 16th century. This man um, loved his congregation. He loved his Lord, served him faithfully. And it was said of William Perkins. I've heard people say this and I've read this. I heard one theologian who I respect use this in one of his talks. He said that it was said of William Perkins that when he said the word damned, that that word rolled off his lips and into the hearts of the congregation and reverberated there for hours after he had spoke those words, damned. And it wasn't because he was standing in front of everybody and ripping them to shreds. You know, that's the easiest thing there is to do. I need no preparation. I don't even need this. I don't need anything. I just stand here with my Bible and I can point out all your faults and I can stand here and say, well, you have this and you're that and you're this and you're that and just, and just plaster you. I can, you can wake me up at two in the morning and I can come straight to the pulpit and I can do that with no preparation. It's the easiest thing to do. That's not what William Perkins was about. William Perkins was warning his congregation that if you're apart from Christ this morning, if you've yet to bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then your soul is presently damned. And if you die that way, it is eternally damned. And he was so used by God that when he would say those words, when we say words like that, we should be fighting back tears. I had a seminary professor put it this way. Heaven is a real place. And there are people in it. And hell is a real place. And there are people in it. So a preacher who stands up here and, 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 and tears his congregation down with a little smirk on his face like he thinks it's cute is no preacher of the gospel. He's no preacher of the gospel. And nor is anybody who runs around pointing out people's faults. We are to preach bad news, yes. We are to share the bad news. But the New Testament calls us over and over again to do it in gentleness. And the fruit of the Spirit, this is how you can know where people are from. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's not an exhaustive list that's given to us in Galatians. But it goes like this. Love, doesn't it? What's next? Peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is in that Spirit that we give this second interpretation. Amen? Verse 20, On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. 
Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. We've looked at the text. We've went verse by verse pretty much. I don't think we actually skipped anything. And um, we saw uh, some things. We've made some application. What is the main thread? Or is there a main thread? Sometimes I think there's more than one. What is the main thread that's going through this text? Well, of course, when we think of the Joseph narratives, what is the main thread? The main thread, obviously, is the providence of God. I've been holding that back because I think next week might be the best week to really bring that in. But as long as we think of the providence of God, what, what role is Genesis 40 contributing to that overall providence of God? I think it's doing this, is that God is always working. No matter what it looks like, God is always working. Yet this working is often hidden from our view. And let's add that to what we looked at last week. Last week, what did we say last week? Last week we said that we need to keep this promise before us all the time that the Lord is with us. So when we suddenly find ourselves in the pit of life, if you will, the first thing that we need to keep in mind when it doesn't look like, maybe it even looks like God has forgotten us because, uh, quite frankly, look at Joseph's circumstances. When it looks like God has forgotten us, we need to remember Jesus' promise that if you're in Christ Jesus, He's with you always to the end of the age. We need to keep that in mind. He's always with us, even to the end of the age. That was last week's message. But adding to that, Genesis 40 adds to that, and it adds this to that, and I think it's very useful and very powerful. What it adds to that is, yes, He's always with us, and His ways are often hidden from our view. Let's test this. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, did his disciples understand what was going on? Yet God had so magnificently been working for centuries, hadn't he? With the Roman government and its roadway system and with Alexander the Great and bringing Greek culture all over, not, the, not, not, not pointing necessarily to, to, to pagan philosophy, but to the Greek language. Our Bibles weren't written in English. The New Testament's written in Greek. God used that language. So that, and it was a common language. It wasn't a big fancy, it wasn't classical Greek. It was Koine Greek. It was a common language that people could understand. He was setting it up. And then in that moment, his disciples, Jesus says, the Son of Man must go and be, be handed over by the chief priests, scribes, and the elders and, and be crucified and on the third day raised. And Peter says, no, never, Lord. Does he understand what's going on? No, any more than the disciples on the road to Emmaus is after, you know, after the crucifixion, you know, and there they are walking back to their homeland from Jerusalem and their faces are downcast and Jesus is already raised from the dead. He's beginning to make appearances and he appears to these two and he appears to them in such a way they don't even know it's him. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, <laughs> they're looking at the, you imagine looking at Jesus like, what, you must be the only character in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened this weekend. You know, this Jesus of Nazareth, we, you know, he, he, he was a mighty prophet and God and did all these signs and wonders. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the chief priests and the scribes, the elders, they crucified him. We had hoped that he'd be the one to redeem Israel. Do they understand? Are they able to see all of the things that God is doing, they weren't able to see. Not at that period in time. 
But shortly they were able to see Jesus revealed himself to them as they sat down for a meal and Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks for it and they suddenly realized who they were, who they've been talking to and he vanished. Now we can say this in miniature in our own lives. When you look at your own life and it looks like the wheels are coming off of it, what do we say to ourselves? What are we learning from this text? Well, we say, one, the Lord's with me. If you're in Christ, the Lord's with you. Two, He's working. You think about your own, think about your salvation, how God has worked with you. And you can think about how God was always working with you, working with you, seeing that you got to the people that you got to, seeing that you heard the things you were, you, that you needed to hear, seeing that you were put in places where you needed to be put. He was always working with every one of us, always working with us. But it was hidden from our sight. He didn't quit. Your presence here this morning is part of it. Why are you here? You think it's an accident? You just wandered at random? You opened up a phone book and said, church, I'll go here. But I'd say even if you did that, it still wouldn't be an accident. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's just, it's just a wonderful thing. We just can't always see it, but we will. I think it's a good place to stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we adore you. We worship you. We thank you. Father, we are really brought to being almost speechless as a result of your word and how you work. Father, we can't always see how you're working. Most of it escapes our notice, and you keep it from our view. But, oh, Father, we know you're with us, and we know that you're working, and that comforts us, oh, Father. In fact, that is so revolutionary in the way that we see our circumstances when we find ourselves in the pit, we find ourselves in the doldrums. Right now, maybe some of us are far from it. Things are going wonderful, but, Father, we know that life has its pits, and we will find ourselves there. Father, arm us with these truths. One, that you're with us always to the end of the age. And two, that you're always working. You're always working. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.